0: Hello,
1: I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Elaine Roth. Elaine's a writer, parent, young widow, and comprehensively certified Pilates instructor. Her written work has appeared on Refinery29, Well and Good, Insider, HuffPost, and Scary Mommy, among others. At the tender age of 14, Elaine had the chance to model in YM magazine. She was paired with a 17-year-old male model for a photo shoot about kissing. The article was titled Kissing A to Z, and she was the photo underneath O, orthodontics. In true 14-year-old girl fashion, Elaine told all her friends about her modeling debut. Months later, the issue was published. The caption accompanying the photo was Brace yourself, metal mouth, don't lose your kissing cool. Life has been throwing her curveballs ever since. She's grateful for the chance to share her writing with others and for the chance to make a little light out of the things that are often too dark. She and her children live in Morris County, New Jersey. Today we'll be talking about the loss of her husband at a young age and how it led to her novel, The Midnight Garden. Welcome, Elaine. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We have a few things in common. One thing we have in common is losing a spouse uh, at an early age. I think I'm I might sorry. have been a little older than you. I was 42, but um, pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close with children, similar. Mm-hmm. And also, we both uh, wrote novels out of that experience. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a, a space in common that um, we'll start with because nobody, the day after they have a loss like that, writes a novel that has anything to do with it. So I wonder if you could share, um, you know, some of some about your loss and and the evolution that led to. Trying to bring some humor to it. Your book has a lot of humor and we can tell that's a, that's a strong point of yours, right? Just from your bio. But tell us a little bit of your story.
2: Uh, so, I mean, I can kind of thread through my loss and writing and how they came together. So um, my husband, Matt, we uh, got married in 2008. We had kids. Um, I left, a ta- I left being a tax lawyer to be a stay-at-home mom. And when my son was born, he was my second, I said to my husband, I need to do something else. I don't want to give up this time with the kids, but I'm bored. And I always wanted to be a writer my whole life. I said, hey, I kind of want to take a crack at writing books. I won't name the book, but I actually read a book that's very popular that I thought was terribly written And I said, oh, if this could sell a million copies, I could sell a million copies. (laughs) From that point on, he had never read a word of my writing. And he said, do it. You're going to be a bestseller. I got you. He was my cheerleader from that point on. I hadn't even written a word. Um, So I started writing books while the kids were napping. Um, And true, you know, author fashion, got rejection after rejection after rejection, shelved a book, took writing classes wrote another one, got more rejections. Then in 2016, Matt was diagnosed with brain cancer. So we fought through, Uh, we did the traditional treatment first and the cancer came back pretty quickly, which is expected, but we didn't expect. Um, And then all throughout that time, I was still writing. I was still writing in hospital rooms while he was getting treatments. I was writing on airplanes while we were going to visit doctors. Uh, Then he had a relapse, got sicker, and passed away in 2018. At that point, I wasn't writing novels anymore. That's a pretty short...
1: uh, It was 20 months, yeah. It's short, from my view, because it was 10 years for me. Uh, 10 years, that's hard. I I know that people die in a shorter time than that, but to me, it seems very short.
2: Yeah, it was less than two years. It was 20 months, the whole... Um, so that kind of the reason, the fact that it was a 20 month battle and the ups and downs that we went through instead of writing novels, I wanted to commit the story, all that we went through the experimental treatments, the traveling, the running around and how we held on to hope. I put that into a blog that I wrote, um, and that blog ended up getting a fairly big readership. Uh, and then, so I kind of took that blog actually into writing then personal essays for, Scary Mommy hired me. Other places picked up my writing freelance. And then I took that writing um, and then started working on novels again. So now I'm doing a little bit of both, a little bit of fiction, a little nonfiction, and always with the aim of trying to explain this experience, to try to bring a little light, to help people who are in this, who feel like they don't aren't understood or aren't heard, feel a little bit more heard and understood.
1: I. I... Uh, I resonate with that a great deal. But I wonder if you've gotten uh, feedback. I've gotten quite a few times where people actually think I wrote a memoir. Uh, and, and the story of in my novel is not my story in very, very appreciable ways. Uh, I just know the territory, right? So I wonder if that happens to you as well because as I was reading your book, it felt very real. And I don't Thank think you. necessarily could write it without some experience, right? Right. And also, I wouldn't have, nece- I wouldn't assume it was your story. And maybe that's because of, of me, right? But right. what ways is it kind of your story? And in what ways is it fiction?
2: You You know what I'm asking? Absolutely. I did not want it to be my story. <laughs> um, Hope, the main character, the young widow, is younger than me. She has no kids her and her husband, her late husband, uh, were high school sweethearts. I won't give away too much else. And then the way he died was a sudden tragic death versus an extended, um, cancer an extended illness. So I wanted, I didn't want to write my story cause it felt, I didn't know that I'd be able to give it the arc that it needed and not just make it personal, Um, But what I did infuse into the story is my experience with grief, my experience living in a small town, and now being this person who has this big grief and trying to navigate a new role in the same place that I was living. So that I did bring to the story.
1: The small town part really got my attention because there's a lot of of humor and, and also pain in the way you portray a small town. Uh, I started my life in a small town, but we left before I was old enough to realize that there's anything about a small town. Mm-hmm. But I think my mother used to talk about um, people were too much in her business. Uh, in, the, in the town we lived in when I was a baby, you know, um, they all loved you, but they were too much in my business, she would always say. And I got the impression this was a similar small town you wrote about. Uh, yes. And I wonder if that's, without disclosing too much about your <laughs> attitude towards small towns, um, does that <laughs> familiar to you, kind of wagging tons? And, um,
2: I definitely exaggerated it for the story. Because <laughs> um, it hasn't been my experience. In I mean, in some ways, yes, but it's definitely significantly exaggerated for the story. Maybe my town isn't small enough to really <laughs> to really have people in my business that much, but
1: well, before we were came on came on the air too, I, we were talking about kind of the the situation of the of the world right now and um, it, it makes me think that there might be people in a small town who look out for each other. My first wife grew up in a small town in Mississippi. a a Black woman, but she said when she was a kid, everyone looked out for her. You know, they made sure she got home, even if they were bigoted, right? So there's that looking after part. And then there's also, you know, the kind of judgment part. And it it seems like (laughs) a dividing line, right?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think you can't escape that anywhere, even in a New York City neighborhood, that's huge. I think when you're in any kind of community, it's hard to it's hard to escape that line of always we're, we're there for each other, but we also have an opinion on what you're doing and maybe it's coming from a good place, but it's still there.
1: Of course that comes up quite regularly when people are grieving, Mm -hmm. that people uh, feel the right, whether they've experienced it themselves or not, usually not. Yeah. To to judge the way that uh, someone in their life is grieving. Have you experienced that for yourself?
2: Oh, absolutely. I remember um, at my husband's shiva, someone said to me, you know, it was days. I don't even, I barely have any memories of that day, yes, but I remember but someone. in days. I mean. Went, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Someone, so said me, someone said to me, oh, I guess you're going to move now. And I was like, "What? Oh my goodness!" Like, (laughs) and so I just kept getting comments. Like, I actually one of the comments that I put into the book where someone told Hope, "Oh, you're young; you'll date again." Someone said that to me just a couple months later. Like, "Oh, you'll meet someone. You're young." I was like, "That whether I was like, that's not doesn't make me feel better." (laughs) Yeah. And
1: how would that change the loss? Right. Exactly. exactly. Someone remarried. That doesn't erase that someone important to me died.
2: Right, it's not like you can replace like, oh okay, now you just have a new one and you're fine. It's like, oh good. A lot, huh? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, that's uh people are not timely with their opinions either. That's- and it
2: and it's tough cuz they they do I really believe people mean well when they say things. They just don't know better.
1: M- more uninformed than than um harmful yeah on their part but it's it still can cut a bit deep oh absolutely yes Uh, so you said uh it's been about five years then ish
2: since your husband died yes it'll be six in february
1: so i think i just hit 28 years
2: and uh me like like panic for a second (laughs) (laughs)
1: um well the reason i'm bringing that up is only to say i've been thinking a lot about grief over time and of course your grief at five years is not the same as my grief at five years but there is evolution so what would you say kind of about the evolution so far obviously you got to the place you were already writing that probably helped to Mm -hmm. me very long time to feel like I wanted to write. Um, but something has evolved already, hasn't it? In your oh, life?
2: absolutely. It's, you know, I mean, the example I can give is, you know, yesterday was Halloween. And it was the first year that both kids were old enough, they didn't want me to trick or treat with them. So I dropped them off where they wanted to go. And then went home by myself. And if it had been the first year of my grief, I think I would have been sobbing because, Oh my goodness, I'm here by myself and I should be here with him, and we should be both, you know, wondering how our kids got to this stage. And I felt it that moment of, oh, I'm doing this by myself, but it didn't, it didn't feel raw in that same way that it would have in year one.
1: It wasn't as ripping.
2: Yeah. Just yeah. A- exactly. How old, how old are your children? Uh 12 and
1: almost 14. So right right on the cusp of both being uh, launching out into no mom don't come yeah <laughs> I remember I remember that time for sure so yeah. that's it that's a also um that's a loss right and losses bring up losses exactly. so a little bit what you're talking about that there's the loss of them not wanting you to come I assume. Mm -hmm. And then there's a loss of not having anyone to share that experience with. Right. That and the loss of in a similar way. And
2: yeah. And knowing that he's missing it too. Like that feels like a big loss too of oh, he doesn't get to see how funny they are in their little tween, you know, hangouts, the way they're talking to each other. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you look very amused. I'm looking at you. The audience isn't. <laughs> oh yes. So so you've passed on their the um humor gene, huh? They 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 have some humor even at 12 and 14. I think so. But it's am their mother. <laughs> it, it stands out that um you had a sort of Difficult, but also humorous experience that you refer to at that exact age with the braces. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> how, how did it go with your friends? I know this is an aside from the <laughs> main subject, but.
2: They actually still thought it was cool that I was in a magazine. I was horrified by the caption and this huge mouth of braces. All you could see in my mind was this giant mouth of braces. <laughs> Um, I think,
1: but yeah. I picture that that if you saw the picture now, I don't know if you still have it, but if I you look at it, you seem to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm guessing it's not quite as horrifying as it might have been at fourteen.
2: No, now I think I look like an awkward, gawky 14 year old and it's adorable, but a regular person. Huh? exactly, Exactly. <laughs> and I think
1: that says something about uh, this what we're what we're talking about at the moment our sort of evolution. Mm-hmm. there is something hard that right, right.
2: We, we don't keep looking at it the
1: same way
2: right absolutely that's actually a great <laughs> a great analogy now
1: you put it in your bio as a you know
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah now I think it's just a a funny moment but
1: and we could say all kinds of things about how adolescents in in the world of magazines and entertainment are are not recognized as people with feelings people with adolescent feelings but that's another subject for another day
2: i just i just read the britney spears bio so memoir so i feel like there's a lot to say about it now
1: yeah a lot to say about it and and um we could tell our life stories through those pivotal moments of pain couldn't we Absolutely. I think of it that way a lot, of course, because of working in grief, that we can tell our stories through the things that feel like losses.
2: Because those are the moments that stick out the most, too. Like, you don't necessarily remember the in-between. You remember the things that spark memory.
1: And the things maybe that that grow us in some way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're about to have a break, but I just wonder whether we can come back and talk about... Um, you Know the whole subject of things that grow us when we come back. That some of the worst things are those things, they're, they're synonymous. And I'm curious, uh, in what ways y- you've seen yourself grow as a result of something very painful. Um, because yes. I'm, I'm guessing if you hadn't grown, you wouldn't have written the book, you would have yes. done something else, yes, fallen
2: apart, maybe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, So let's let's go to a break and we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Elaine Roth at ElaineRoth.com. Be back soon.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: This is Good Grief host, Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com. .com/goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month.
0: Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon Alexa and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, tune in iHeartRadio. Listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast.
1: Hey Alexa,
0: Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones.
1: I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Elaine Roth about the loss of her husband and her novel about to come out, The Midnight Garden. And before the break, Elaine, I was saying I'd really like to talk about kind of what you identify in yourself grew as a result of what most would count as, I would count, as uh, one of the most drenching griefs because a spouse is so laced throughout your life, right, that that everything is touched is how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I assume some things before I ask you what you think has grown. I assume you've had some support, even though some people said dumb things. Uh, yes. I assume some people said better things. Um, and and that you had community. I know that because you said you had Shiva and people came, right? right. Um So you had some help along the way. Maybe you met other widows.
2: Uh,
1: quite possibly.
2: I did, I did. I did. <laughs>
1: so what do you think helped you grow um, after losing your husband? And how do you think you grew? Does that... Uh, uh, do those two parts of the question fit together? Okay.
2: They do. They do. Um, I think, what do I think? I think what that, what the thing that helped me grow, I almost want to say, you know, support was great. Community was great, but it was almost, it just had to be doing it. It just had to be every day kind of facing the hard thing, facing the new challenge Getting through it and then waking up the next day and saying, Oh, I did this. Okay, now I could do this thing, or let me try this thing. And even if it didn't go perfectly, you know, okay, I'll try again tomorrow. And so I really think something kept you in the moment, willing to
1: accept that you were grieving. Right. Not everybody does that right away. Uh, And you were able to notice your success is not just what was purely painful, yeah. that you had been able to do certain things. So uh, an increase in your sense of your own strength, maybe, uh, an ability to just go ahead and do it.
2: Yeah, I think some of it was, I mean, it was the kids because they needed to see, you know, they needed to get up and go to school, even if they needed to see nothing else, they needed breakfast before school. They needed somebody to pay the electric the electric bill so that they go on their iPads, you know, the important things in life. Um,
1: the thing they would care about with you paying, <laughs> does my iPad work?
2: <laughs> exactly. Is there is there Wi-Fi in the house? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really think some of it was, I have to do this because they, you know, Wi-Fi aside, but they... They need me. They have no one else. If I can't do this, they're lost. And to honor Matt, to honor myself, I wouldn't, I couldn't let them be lost. So a lot of it was having, doing it for them and then realizing I could do it. Um, The other part was writing. So I started this, the blog about six weeks after Matt passed away and kind of getting that it was a mix of, here's what happened on March 15th. 2017. And here's what's happening March 15th, 2018, that putting those next to each other kind of really helped me work through what was going on in my head then and now and comparing and contrasting so that the days didn't feel so heavy. So they weren't all stuck in my head all the time.
1: You had a way to process it since you, yeah. were, you were able to continue writing. I write, but I was not able to write at that point. I did other things. Yeah. So yeah. We're able to to keep doing it right. And, and use it as a feedback mechanism for yourself and also maybe a creative process.
2: I creative process. And it connected me with a lot of people who felt similarly. And really even that actually, even that kind of that feedback of thank you for saying this, thank you for helping me put into words what I couldn't, even that kind of, I was like, all right, I'm not alone in this. I'm not by myself in this grieving process, in this solo parenting process uh,
1: there's that there's a kind of um a bravery you know you you have to do it for your own good but it does take uh most people are holding back and until they can't help it from saying the hard things but when you say them people are relieved and resonant aren't they
2: yeah because now someone has said it and they know they're not alone in this crazy feeling
1: if we could cultivate that early on go ahead and talk about it <laughs> yeah. all of us a little bit huh? i, I want to go back to your kids though because mm-hmm. uh i know for myself i had a teenager and a and a three-year-old at the time and i know for myself it both helped and at moments made things hard uh, because I was trying to, I needed to give myself lots of space where they weren't there.
2: That's right, <laughs> I
1: could actually have my feelings and mm-hmm. you
2: know,
1: and not just be there for them. And and I've noticed with lots of parents that I grieving parents that I've talked with, um, it's a real uh, uh, difficult balancing act. How do you get enough for yourself? while you're busy making sure they have what they need Mm -hmm. and did you have did you have to go to a full-time job right away or did you have some some ability to kind of rummage around in your in your own thoughts and feelings when they went to school how did that work out for you
2: i'm very lucky because i had the ability to I didn't have to go right into a full time job. And even now, I crafted this kind of flexibility so I can be there for them. I can do what I need to do, um, which was one way that I was very lucky. So I had while they were in school to get things done to find the time for myself. Um, I've also always been an early riser. So that helped <laughs> that time in the morning before they woke up. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. That is fortunate. Because I think um, the truth is, a lot of people don't have that, and then your ch- your children's grief and your own grief collide, and that's quite difficult for some people, for sure. Even though what you're saying about um, you know I I wanted them to have what they needed, so I kept going. Uh, yes, and it can. It's not always easy. I've been thinking lately about how much that might contribute to parents not being willing to talk about their grief with their kids because they're trying to hold it together, you know.
2: I think some of it was my grief in the beginning, and I'm sure for so many people, it was so big in the beginning that I actually couldn't deal with it. So just kind of letting it settle there and dealing with their grief and them. I think I needed that process of before I could even touch this I need to settle this over here because I feel like my the worst of my I mean it was bad it was you know but some of it I didn't couldn't even quite feel until months later
1: Also I think you're saying um so big as to be a little wordless right even, even though then you put words to it um some feelings are like that. I've heard that said about like th- the trauma of war, that part of the reason people don't talk about it is they can't find any words. Right, nothing feels nothing. good enough, to. So nothing feels right. Yeah, and there, and it can kind of um, ball everything up. So it it, I, it occurs to me that it helped you that you wanted to keep trying to write it down. Even yeah. if you get it quite right, you wanted to keep trying
2: and it was also that was even for the kids cuz the number the way the way that our story went and the way we held on to hope and we went into this experimental trial that was on CBS i wanted them to understand cuz the way that brain cancer works it kind of takes away a person's personality before anything else so i wanted them to understand why their dad wasn't their dad for so many of those months to understand it it wasn't him saying those things or doing those things it was the disease so a lot of it was also getting down what happened so they understood later
1: that also implies um that you and he were pretty solid before because you had a strong sense of who he was and you were able to hold on to the fact that who he was with brain cancer was not his essential self That's a struggle for lots of people too, you know, because uh, some people get worse, but they already had some element of difficulty Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, you know, um, and, and it's harder to hold on to the unintentionality of, of an illness.
2: Right. I remember I read this, uh, this phrase and it has stuck with me when you're a caregiver for someone with an illness called. Um, one of the hardest parts is renegotiating relationships. So renegotiating the way that you're even interacting is so hard and causes so many fractures.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I guess we could say in your novel, there's a way you exaggerated that. Right. I, I will go into the details, but uh, I'm sure that could, could help you sort that out the exaggeration of alienation you know yeah. <laughs> for sure um not your story again we'll we'll emphasize but <laughs> no
2: not. i couldn't write my story there. not my story
1: uh, i it, i'm 28 years out and i'm just now trying to write a memoir you know because yeah that's not accessible for a lot of people right away other people have to write it right away Mm-hmm. Uh, uniqueness of of grief itself
2: um, yeah, it's cathartic i think also just writing even just stream of consciousness writing is cathartic
1: did, were your kids able to talk about their grief did did you you know kids are going in and out of it because develop it, development stops for no person is how i like to put that but um were they able to say i miss dad or Uh, refer you know because some kids kind of go silent themselves
2: so I had started them um because again because of the way brain cancer they couldn't quite understand what was happening with their dad and what was happening in the house they actually had started with an art therapist a few weeks before he passed away and then she stayed with them for um another year and a half so you know my So both of them were able to express it in their various ways. I remember um, right after the funeral, my son went to therapy and she had him draw a picture of his feelings in his body. And he um, he put sadness in his stomach and he'd been throwing up that whole week from being sad and anger in his hands. And at that point he was young enough and he was hitting. And I was like, that's so interesting that he could identify that. But that helped them kind of be able to verbalize their grief throughout the... The first year, at least.
1: touches my heart that he could could name it because it's hard for kids sometimes to understand what's happening with themselves, let alone anyone else.
2: I thought it was incredible that he could figure that out through art. I don't know if I had asked him if he would have been able to express what was happening.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Any art form, I don't know if it helps you go there or or it creates a buffer a little bit. You know, right. you're doing mm-hmm. else with it, right?
2: <laughs> right, right. So can...
1: What about now? How would you say that they have? Because the thing I hear from parents of youngish children, young to youngish, um, is all, will they be okay? Uh, well, my kids are way grown at this point. They are okay. <laughs> so I know that's certainly in the cards with um, luck and and good intervention right Mm -hmm. what would you say about your kids at this point
2: it's actually stories like yours that make me think they're going to be okay and I know we have a strong foundation the three of us so whatever else comes you know I do think they'll be okay and hearing stories like yours makes me think they'll be okay
1: yeah, I, I, I even want to go a little further. And I wonder if this applies to your children yet. Um, I consider my kids to be a little bit unusually empathic around the troubles that their friends go through. Uh, a thousand percent. The, the younger one who's now 30, uh, I don't know if she quite makes the connection that people come to her because she's different, because she's been through that. Mm -hmm. I can see it right yeah looking at her she's she doesn't come at it the same way Uh, I absolutely agree the 42 year old she knows it she knows yeah I I'm familiar with the territory and I'm more likely to reach out and people are more likely to reach out to me you know so that's that's better than okay to me
2: I love that you say that because I often say to my daughter that her superpower is empathy, that it is incredible to me that she can be in eighth grade and have that level of empathy and understanding of people. And I agree. And it's because she went through this terrible loss so early.
1: Do you think empathy also has grown in you as a result?
2: I do think so, just because I feel like, you know, you... When you hear someone's story, you can just understand. Mm. You can understand the hurt, even if it's completely different. You can feel for them and, I don't know. So I do think so, because I wouldn't have understood. I didn't understand grief before or, or any of it.
1: It seems like the the um, the necessary element is saying yes to the feelings you yourself have. Because then other people's hard hard feelings don't put you off. Right.
2: Right? (laughs) Well, you're not afraid of them, and you know?
1: So that's, uh, you know, we're circling around this, what changes in a person who has Mm -hmm. loved bad. I think we just stumbled over another one, yes? Yeah, I think so. Feelings are scary.
2: They're just things we have. (laughs) Some are big, some are small, but... And especially loss, people are afraid they don't to have that in their own life. So they don't even want to come close to it. And oftentimes, because not that, like that, as if it's contagious or some, you know.
1: Bagged kicking and screaming, I guess we could. Yeah. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go take another break. And then we'll come back for our last segment. Um, listeners, of course, go to the Good Grief Host page to find links to my Instagram, my Facebook, my LinkedIn, my email, etc. And to find Elaine Roth, you can go to her website, elaineroth.com. Back after the break.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
1: This is good grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month.
0: Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. I've been talking with Elaine Roth about her novel, The Midnight Garden, and uh, Elaine, um, one thing that really struck me in the book is the the name of your two main characters, uh, Hope and Will, because I feel as if what we've been talking about this whole hour takes those two things. You have to have the will to keep going and you have to have the hope that you're going somewhere. <laughs> so they seemed like two very important aspects. Um but the the book is i don't think i'm giving too much away to say that it's really about how you find your way to open up to another relationship after the loss of of a first relationship or a previous relationship and i'm fascinated with this cuz i've been remarried for a, a long time 25 years um known her for 26 and, and um, I'm still working out how does it work together within me, right? But it does. If I think too hard, it, it's a little, <laughs> but it actually works within me quite well. And I wonder what your, what your personal experience, the book is all about that, I feel, as if, you know, the complications and the, what's left over and what holds you back and what propels you, all of those things. How is that for you?
2: Uh, I just want to say first that I'm so glad you picked up on the hope and will part (laughs) because I thought it was very clever when I thought of that. (laughs) Um, But I agree. The book is, it is really about how in grief, it could be so scary to then take a new step because that step you were just on got ripped away from you. And now, you know, you could just stay in this small little life, which is perfectly fine and a valid choice, or you could try the next thing and you have to try it knowing you could lose it. You could go for this great, big, happy thing and you could get it and then it could be torn away again. And it's a terrifying choice to make and requires a lot of bravery, I think.
1: And for you, is it worthwhile to, to make that choice?
2: Yes, so I am. Um, I did start dating myself about a year and a half after. Now I'm in a great relationship with... A widower, actually. So we very much speak the same grief language and understand each other's trajectories of how we got here. And it is an interesting thing. It is this funny thing to hold. How much I love Matt and how much I love him. I'm not sure. I'm allowed to. I don't know if you want his name on the radio, but (laughs) yeah. You know, right? But and it is always kind of navigating this thing of. I was so happy with Matt and that got ripped away for me. Just one day, all of a sudden he came with a headache. We went to the ER and things fell apart. And that risk is there every day for both of us for, and he understands that risk too. And we're both choosing to take the risk just because it's worth it to have that kind of big love in your life.
1: You know, I think I've mentioned this on the, on the show before, but it, it's just, uh, I repeat myself. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> for about a year into my my second relationship my current wife and I I would wake up in the night almost every night and look over at her and she looked as if she was dead not sleeping i saw a death mask on her and um because it's so real right you've experienced it and yeah and Of course, eventually that does happen period, right? But the idea that you could be young again and I've known people that's happened to so it's very real in that way, you know. Um, it does take um, courage and and maybe some other things too to to go ahead and, and do that. I wonder if you're if Matt I, I know Joanne helped me with that. Uh, she specifically told me I want you to do this so I didn't encounter guilt
2: right right
1: but um I wonder if there's any way you felt the permission uh because people can really get wrapped up in loyalty issues too as if it's somehow disloyal which I don't believe it to be
2: I don't believe it to be but I definitely very early when I started dating, got wrapped up in that, in that guilt of how could I do this to him? Um, and it was actually a medium that I went to speak to who told me not, she didn't say Matt is giving permission. Although apparently he told his dad that he was going to give me permit, like he wanted me to not, not even give permission, but he wanted, he didn't want me to be alone. He wanted me to be happy. But this medium said to me, she said, Matt isn't in a form that has jealousy, feels betrayal. He's just in a form that's pure energy, pure light. And I don't know, you know, believe what you want about the universe, but just that resonated with me. And I said, that I, I can get behind. I agree. He is just pure energy and pure energy isn't feeling bad about anything like that. It's just goodness.
1: Let's hope if it exists, it's well-intentioned actually. Right. So <laughs> you know, What is that... I don't quote the Bible very much, but the, the Psalm about love is patient and not envious and all of that. I think that's probably the bottom line on it, huh? Yeah. But it does seem um beautiful that you are with someone you can voice that with because, you know, you're both navigating that in some way. Yes.
2: Absolutely. And it's, And it's, you know, I think an amazing thing that there's no then jealousy, you know, it's not, he can talk about his late wife, you know, and I hope he does, because he has small kids who need to know about her. And I hope he, you know, and I would love to know about her. And I think he feels the same way of Matt can still be part of the life with me and our kids. And it's not something to be jealous of, because it's, you know, of course, he's coming along for our journey. And, you know, of course, she is.
1: I feel that it's, um, you know, there has to be a certain level of maturity to include the person who's died because it isn't divorce. Right. Right. And so maybe it also favors a good next relationship if the person has the wherewithal to say, oh, no, they're apart. You don't have to get rid of them. Uh, Right. One of the weirdest things anyone said to me when I was starting to date was that I was going to have to divorce my first wife. I said, well, then I won't be dating (laughs) because that's not happening. But you do have to
2: reconfigure it.
1: It's much different than it was, but there's no divorce. There's no severance in my book anyway.
2: It's not divorce. I think, no, definitely not divorce. I think it's you just have to hold these two things in your mind at the same time, which is maybe the widow superpower of, cause I feel like so often we're required to do that. to you know, to hold two different things and just both are true.
1: I, I love that. Including holding more than one emotion at a time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, even so much, so often with the kids, I'm so excited for them and happy for them. And at the same moment, it's that those are the biggest moments of grief when I feel the most joy, so. And you have to hold both. You have to make space for both.
1: How do you believe you do that at this point? At first, it's just a big cacophony.
2: (laughs) It sort of
1: takes a form, I feel, for most people. Do do you have a sense of your form of that holding two things at once? I know it's a good question.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's a great question. I don't know if it's a form as much as I can just kind of visualize in my mind that both things are happening. And just kind of giving a lot of grace for this. This is possible. It seems it seems impossible, but here we are.
1: One thing I find myself using a lot is naming. Uh, so one word for whatever it is. And if there's more than one thing, you can do that almost simultaneously, right? Right. right. Uh, oh, sad. Happy.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: whatever it is, I can't. They can be very close together. Uh, I right. word person, even though I didn't write right away. <laughs> so that's something that helps me.
2: I think when you're a word person, it it it's always there. So you're about
1: to launch this book. You haven't quite yet, right? A couple more days. A couple more days. <laughs> right on the on the precipice. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things won this celebration that you wouldn't be celebrating without the loss. That's the two things at once right there. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: And the person who, right from the beginning, said, yep, I'm on your team. What do you need? The first cheerleader. I hadn't even written one word. I hadn't even written chapter one yet.
1: <laughs> and so it's an honoring, but it's also a um, kind of exemplification of his absence at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, You already, in order to get where you are now, you've had to grapple with that and you're ready for that because you've Mm -hmm. been to write the book. Right. Now you're going to, I've I've interviewed tons of authors. And one thing that surprises a lot of authors who write out of their grief experience is that then they're going to hear a lot of stories about other people's grief. Because... I think I think uh the world is waiting for permission to tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder I've, if you're expecting that or uh not you know, how you're looking at what you might get back in this process of promoting the book and
2: so interesting, through the blog, I got a lot of that, and then even I did a little library panel right in town, and people came up to me to share their stories whether about a young spouse their son and I feel really honored that that's the that that's the reaction people read you know want to hear about the book and their reaction is to tell me their story I feel like I don't know I think that it's a really special thing that to connect that way with someone.
1: Some people are get caught off guard by it but you have enough experience that that probably won't yeah. happen.
2: Yeah I'm a little bit used to it
1: I think. Um, also it'll be emotional. I I would assume some of the time because, you know, when I talk with a young widow, what am I doing? Part of what I'm doing is remembering being a young widow. No doubt about it. I'm happy to do that. I'm fine to do it. And it's lots of different things at once, isn't it?
2: It's giving that little bit of light out of something dark.
1: I love that way of putting it. Yeah. Are you... uh, can you send the listeners? This is both a time-stamped and a permanent interview here. Some people will be listening way after the fact. Oh, I great! But uh, because it turns into a podcast pretty quickly. But for those people that are listening right now, do you have anything's coming up you'd like them to know about?
2: Um, I mean, right in my small town in New Jersey, I have a book launch. <laughs> but that's, it's probably small. Um, and otherwise nothing quite yet. I have a few things in the works, but nothing that's so ready they, to announce.
1: They should go to your website to keep up with how you, um, how the book, uh, grows in My its
2: website or Instagram. I post any, any articles I'm, are on there too.
1: Just by your name, Elaine Roth.
2: The at the Elaine Roth.
1: The Elaine Roth. Yes. <laughs> Uh, we only have, you know, just a minute or two left. Um But I did see, given uh, you're saying Instagram, I did see a picture of you with your kids and your book on Instagram. Yep. Are they excited for you? And do they get to read it or they don't? You know, how are they? They, with-
2: they both have signed copies in their rooms. They are beyond excited when i got the delivery of arcs it's actually one of my favorite memories they grabbed a book and started screaming and running around the house They they want to plan my son wants to plan i don't know where he thinks it's happening a party with a dj and strobe lights so they're excited
1: <laughs> sounds great yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's a beautiful place to end that they can share in your joy of it huh yeah they're thrilled Thanks so much for being with me today, Elaine.
2: Thank you very,
1: very much. And as we just said, you can go to elaineroth.com or theelaineroth at Instagram to find her in the book. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.